0: Acts chapter 20, and we are reading from verse 5. Acts chapter 20, verse 5. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days. And there we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, "Do not be troubled, for his life is in him." When he got back up and had broken bread and eaten, he he talked with them a long while until daybreak, and then left. They took away the boy alive, and were greatly comforted. Okay, so if you look on the web or get a map of Paul's journeys, this was the third. this, This was his his. His missionary journey that he was going on, and uh, his third journey, and he was now on his way back and you, you can just track along this map the different cities as he was going, and so he sent several on ahead of him to Troas, but he and Luke uh, uh, wanted to stay there for a few days during the days of unleavened bread, suggesting that Luke was probably also a jew but it says that on the first day of the week... Now, in the Scriptures, Sunday is always referred to as the first day of the week. Sunday is not referred to as the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is not Sunday. never is in the Scriptures. In the, the Gentile church, they refer to Sunday as the Lord's Day. But in Scriptures, it is never referred to as the Lord's Day. It is referred to as the first day of the week. And... and um, It says that that on the first day of the week, when they were gathered together to break bread. So there's an implication there that they were gathered together to break bread. Now this breaking bread, you may say, is a fellowship meal, but actually scriptures speak of something different. It's actually the Lord's Supper service, or the communion service as sometimes it's called in this day. And and we'll look more at that and and why, why we believe that that is. But Paul began talking to them. So this was actually the beginning of Sunday. When is the beginning of the first day of the week? It is our Saturday night. So by our reckoning, Saturday night at 6 p.m. is the is the the is it's Saturday night at 6 p.m. It's still Saturday, but not Jewish reckoning. Jewish reckoning says Saturday night at sundown, as soon as the sun goes down, that and and actually when you see a certain number of stars that. That is now Sunday. So Sunday begins Saturday night by Jewish reckoning. You say, boy, that's strange. No, what we do is strange. That is just a different culture. That culture predates us by quite a lot. So remember, Sunday begins our Saturday night. This is a Saturday night service. So you say, well, it's on this basis that we meet on Sunday morning. Well, then you're off. Remember, we don't take what's in the book of Acts as our theology, this is an a historical book. We have in the epistles plenty of theology to see us through to tell us what we ought to do. But actually, they're meeting on Saturday night. And that's why there are lights in there. This is not Sunday morning. This is Saturday night meeting, which to them is the first day of the week. And so when they had met, they were gathered together to break bread. Paul began talking with them intending to leave the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. So you see, He started at sundown on Saturday and he prolonged his message until midnight, Saturday night, or the beginning of what we would call Sunday. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. So they had all these lamps because it's a Saturday night service. So again, if you really get excited that, hey, worship services ought to be held on Saturdays. Say you're a Seventh-day Adventist. Well, actually, this service was being held Saturday night, not Saturday morning. And if you really bent out of shape, the church has to be Sunday at 11 a.m. Well, on what basis? Maybe on your tradition basis. But remember, that is not Scripture. Here they happened to be meeting Saturday night. Didn't say you had to, but this is when they happened to be meeting. And it was fine for them. Many lamps in the room. There was a young man, Eutychus, sitting on the, on the windowsill, and he began sleeping. Because he fell asleep. Remember, this was a long message, started sometime around sundown, prolonged message until midnight, and you know even Paul the apostle could put people to sleep. I mean, this happened once in a while. And the kid, and and remember, there's lots of lamps in the room, which means that you you have a lot of carbon monoxide forming. The carbon monoxide is going up, which makes you more tired. And he's sitting up. It it, it said he's sitting up on, on the on the windowsill there. So so. He's getting more of this, and that helps to put him to sleep. And so he starts sleeping. So he falls off. So just remember, if you're going to sleep, get secured in a proper place. I have seen people. I I saw a grown man in a meeting in this church fall out of his chair. We had a missionary speaking, and uh, uh, it was one of these folding type of chairs. And he was sitting there, and he fell asleep. He fell off his chair, and his chair fell down too next to him while the poor young lady was speaking. And he got up and he said, it's all right, it's all right, go on, keep speaking, keep speaking. So you can fall out of your chair, even, when, you, when you're sleeping. Have you ever fallen out of a chair when you were sleeping? Did you ever fall asleep and fall out of your chair? Has that ever happened to anyone? Well, it might. So anyway, this kid falls off the windowsill, falls down and breaks his, presumably breaks his neck or some, something happens. But it says in verse 9, he was picked up dead. So it's not that they presumed him to be dead, the Bible says he was picked up dead, so he was dead. Remember in in the book of Acts, after they had stoned Paul, it says they presumed him to be dead, it never said that he was dead. So Paul didn't undergo a resurrection at that point, they had presumed him to be dead. Here Luke, the physician is writing, and Luke writes, he was dead. Paul went down and fell upon him and after embracing him, he said, do not be troubled for his life is in him. So after Paul embraced him, this is the same way that Elijah and Elisha had raised people. They would come and embrace them and the life would be restored within them. And so the kid came back alive. So be careful where you sit during a message because there's not too many Paul the Apostles that can raise you back up. (laughs) Kill yourself. Right? So... So, uh, but this was a miraculous thing that happened. And then in verse 11 it says, And when they had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, we talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. So this is a meeting that started Saturday evening. Paul was speaking until midnight. The thing went on all night. This thing with Eutychus happened and, and, and they broke bread. And he began speaking to them until the, the, the break of the day, whenever that was, maybe 5 a.m the break of the day, Paul would continue to speak with them. But they broke bread. Let's focus in on this concept because I think it's actually a really important concept, this thing of of, uh, the Lord's Supper and the breaking of bread. And let's look at what the Scriptures have to say about it. Look in in, uh, Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, there's a similar portion to what's in several of the Psalms. Mark chapter 14. And this is just prior to the suffering of the Lord, the the Lord being picked up and going through a a, a trial, and then undergoing the um, the crucifixion. But in John chapter 14, verse uh, 22, it says, And while they were eating, he took some bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And when they had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so, you know, Jesus said he would never drink of the fruit of the vine again until he drank it new with them in the kingdom of God. What was the last act that Jesus did on the cross? He drank of the fruit of the vine. Remember, they, 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 they put up the sour wine. He drank it, and He said, It is finished, because the, the kingdom of God was ushered in. But you see, He says to them, Take, this is my body. Now, let me tell you one of the things that, that bothers all, many, many of my Protestant friends. It bothers them that... that uh, uh, Catholics believe that the bread is the actual body of Christ and the juice is the actual blood of Christ. It bothers them. They say, how can they believe that? And then it bothers the Catholics. How can the Protestants not believe it? Let's look at what the Scriptures say. Let's, let's take everything we've learned in the past, just put it aside for right now. Can you do that? Just put it aside for right now and let's see exactly what the Scriptures say. So Jesus said, take, this is my body. Okay? So he's handing them bread. He says, this is my body. In verse 24, Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So he says, this is my body. This is my blood. Now, what many people will quote to you is a portion in John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door for the sheep to go through. And they say, well, Jesus says he is the door. He obviously isn't a door, so he was speaking figuratively. And that's a reasonable point. That is a reasonable point, that Jesus refers to himself as the door. Now, does that mean he's actually a physical door that we knock on? No. He's speaking figuratively. It's an analogy. All right? So, so, uh, uh, and on that basis, they will see, say that he is also speaking figuratively here. Okay. Well, we can understand that from this passage. Now, let's look in John chapter six. John chapter six. John chapter six. It's a very long chapter. Verse forty-one. John six forty-one. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. So let's look look back back up at verse uh, 35 of John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Uh, so he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Well, maybe he's speaking figuratively like he was speaking figuratively in John chapter 10, saying, I am the door. Because he said, I am the bread of life. But verse 41, it says, then the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. So they took it to mean that he is suggesting that he is the bread that came out of heaven. If he was just speaking figuratively, huh, who would mind? Right? Why would they mind so much if he was just speaking figuratively? You know, they didn't mind when he said, "Hey, I am the door." You know, if somebody's speaking figuratively, you, you, you know, what does it matter? It's, it's, it's like if, if I say, "Hey, you know, I'm the quarterback." All right. Well, the guy is obviously speaking figuratively. I couldn't be a quarterback. Because, because I'm not tall enough to be a quarterback. I don't have a good enough arm to be a quarterback. <clears throat> remember, the, <clears throat> the days of Fran Tarkenton are gone. You've got to throw over very large linemen. You guys don't even remember Fran Tarkenton, but he wasn't much taller than me. But he was a bang-up of a quarterback, and he could scramble like crazy. But he would never survive in the NFL today. Because the front line is like seven feet tall. And if you can't get high enough to get your arm over them, you're in trouble. So, I say I'm a quarterback. You know I'm just speaking figuratively. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe he's saying that because, you know, he's teaching today. Maybe he's calling the plays for today. But so, so, people accept that sometimes people are speaking figuratively. They don't grumble. What does he mean he's a quarterback? I haven't seen him on the NFL. No, you don't grumble when somebody's speaking figuratively because it's just figurative. Here, they're grumbling about it. But let's, let's look on. Now, now, now look in, uh, um, uh, in verse 48 of John chapter 6. He says again, I am the bread of life. Well, he's saying it again. So he says again, I am the bread of life in verse 48. Look in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give you... Give, and the bread which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, this is becoming a bit extreme. If this is figurative, why is he being so extreme? He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give, and the And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I mean, if the guy is speaking an analogy, he's really... Going to an extreme here, isn't he? So you read this, you say, this is really an extreme. Now, say I have... Um, say, are, 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 there, are there strawberries back there? Shereen, could you bring me a strawberry? Pardon? Yes, I'm hungry. So Jesus is speaking here very intently. Now, if we're reasonable folks, and I think we're reasonable folks. If we are reasonable it is reasonable to say, okay, I could see how somebody might read this and say that, okay, Jesus is speaking literally. You see, because you, you have to force yourself down to say, okay, He's speaking for, I just wanted one, but that's okay. All right. So here, here's a strawberry. <clears throat> what if I said, okay, this is a strawberry. <coughs> this is a strawberry. Oh, He's speaking figuratively. Now, this is is a strawberry. He's speaking figuratively. Okay. What would I do? Because you say, well, you're sure it's artificial. So he must be speaking figuratively. What would I do? I would say, no, this is a real strawberry. This is a true strawberry. This is what I would say, right? If If I was trying to underscore that this is not plastic. Even though plastic is organic this is this is organic in a different way all right so so this is a real strawberry wouldn't i say that and then you go well duh okay it's not an artificial strawberry it is real so look at what jesus now says look at what jesus says he says um, in verse 55 my flesh is true food my blood is true drink oh he's speaking figuratively how can you say he's speaking figuratively? He says, my flesh is true food. This is a true strawberry. Doesn't the New American, the, the NIV say real food? This is a real strawberry. What would you say to a guy if, if, if he said five times, this is, this is a strawberry, this is a strawberry, this is, this is a real strawberry, and somebody else said, oh, he's speaking figuratively. I mean, how do you say it any clearer, right? So, so you can understand then... How somebody might might really say that that hey, how is there a whole group of people who can't believe that this is the body and the blood of the Lord? If we're reasonable folks, we see that, okay, people might think that by reading this passage, right? Am I right on this? I mean you're reasonable folks. Here, you just got your, your degree, right? Here's an educated man. So wouldn't you you've been educated, you got all this great understanding. You would say, Okay, you understand how people could believe this. Right? Because it makes sense based on this passage. Now, if Jesus were speaking figuratively, and they took it to mean reality, and this reality bothered them so much, how could the guy say that we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood? So much so that they were going to leave his ministry and walk away. Wouldn't he... Call them back and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Come back here, guys. I'm just speaking figuratively. He would call them back, right? Well, let's see what happens. Look, look, look in, in verse 58. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as my fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, They said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? So, so, you, you know, they were having trouble with this. In verse 61, But Jesus, conscious that His disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What if you should see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who do not believe, and who it was that would betray Him. And He was saying, for this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted to Him from the Father. Verse 66, listen to this verse. As a result, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. As a result of these statements, if the man were speaking figuratively, and if they took it to be figurative, why would they leave? You know, if I stand up here and portray myself like an NFL quarterback, eventually you're going to say, the guy is deluded, and you're going to leave. But if I say, I'm a quarterback, you're going to understand that I'm speaking figuratively, and you don't leave. You leave when you believe that the man really believes what he's saying. They took this to mean this, his flesh is true food. His blood is true drink. And it was because of that they started grumbling. And it was because of that many of the disciples left. And Jesus didn't say, hey, 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 come on back. Hey, just, just figurative, just a joke, just, just you know, emphasis in teaching. He didn't do that. He let them go. And He says, if this bothers you, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? Which, remember, they were about to see. After He died and rose again, He walked for 40 days, and what happened to the disciples? They saw Him taken up into the sky, in the clouds, carrying Him off. Was was that figurative too? Maybe the resurrection was figurative too. Did you know that there are people out there, somewhere outside the doors of this church, that believe, that, that don't believe in the resurrection? Did you know there's people out there that don't believe in the resurrection, They can't understand how some people can believe in a physical resurrection? Did you know there are people like that? You didn't know that?
1: You think everybody
0: believes in the physical resurrection? Are you Eutychus? Are you about to fall off your chair or something? <laughs> There's people who believe it. So, just because there's people who believe that that, that uh, uh, they can't understand how we could believe such a thing as the resurrection, still we believe it. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, you really ought to analyze whether you're a believer in Christ because Paul said that's the first important, the resurrection. That He rose physically from the dead. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 sometime. And, and John chapter 20, if you ever have questions about that. But... You, but you see, one could read this passage and say, how could there be Christians that don't believe that this is physical? Food and physical drink. You see what I mean? If we're reasonable people and we've laid aside all our preconceived notions. Have I gotten you all upset now? Good. I hope to. Because, because the Word of God should shake us up. Now let's look at First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to send you home thoroughly confused. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, this is in the epistles. This is the teaching that we are supposed to take hold of. This is not an historical account only. These are hard teachings of the apostles that we take hold of. For I re- this reading from verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11:23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, "This is the new co- this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this." As often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Paul says that we are to do this. This is why Paul was doing this in, 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 uh, in Acts chapter 20. And you say, well, this is, this is speaking of a fellowship meal, not just of taking a little wafer and a little piece of bread and drinking a little juice or a little wine. This, this is speaking of a fellowship meal. I don't think so. And you know why? If this was speaking of a fellowship meal, it wouldn't make any sense. Because if you, look, <clears throat> if you look in verse 34 of that same portion, If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that he will not come together for judgment. For the remaining matters I will arra- arrange when I come. This is like saying, I would like you all to come over to my home today for lunch. But before you come, you ought to stop at Wendy's on the way. And and, uh, if you're hungry, stop at Wendy's and eat. And then come over for lunch. If this were a fellowship meal, it would make no sense by saying, if you're hungry, eat at home, so you don't come together for judgment. Only come to the fellowship meal when you're full. Well, that makes a lot of sense. No, he is speaking of some sort of act that they are partaking in that is different than just the fellowship meal. Now, it can be coupled to a fellowship meal, but it's different than the feeding of our faces to nourish us. It is a different act. And now let's look in verse 27, what it means. Therefore... Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and also drink of the cup. So what does it say? It says that we shouldn't drink in an unworthy manner. This is an act for believers to participate in. If you don't believe that Jesus is is Lord, that he's risen from the dead, you shouldn't partake. I'm not going to keep you from partaking, but it, it doesn't make any sense for you to partake. And in fact, it goes on to say that we have to examine ourselves. Even the believer must examine himself. So we, 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 we reflect and we say, Lord, is there anything I need to deal with? Think of the mercy of this. Think of the mercy of the Lord that He doesn't want us to go throughout the whole week carrying the burdens. He wants us to take a moment of reflection and say, Lord, is there any trash in my life, anything that I've done this week that I need to ask forgiveness for? And then you ask God to forgive you. Now, some people would say, Oh, I'm not ready to, to, to take of the Lord's Supper. I'm, I'm just not right right now. Oh, I should have had more warning. Huh! I can't partake. How do you say more? I have to, you know, beat myself on the back with chains before I can take of this. I, I, I need to be more prepared. No, the Bible says, examine yourself and so let, him eat of the, eat, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In verse 28, examine yourself and in so doing he is to eat. So the examination should not keep us from partaking. The examination should let us get right with God so that we can partake. And it's not beating yourself on the back with chains. It is something as simple as this. Lord, I lost my temper with so-and-so. Forgive me for that. And since my sin was also against another inv- individual, may I, may I remember to go and make it right with them this week. That is a good thing. That is a good thing. It says in the book of Proverbs, a fool mocks at making repentance for sin. A fool mocks at, at, at repentance and, and forgiveness of sins. So we are to partake of this, but it's to cause us to reflect a moment. And then what happens if we reflect? It says in verse 29, for he who in, eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. So in other words, in verse 27 and 28, it taught us how to judge the body rightly by asking God to forgive us. But if we should partake, without asking God to first forgive us and deal with all the trash that's there that we shouldn't be carrying this, we bring judgment upon ourselves. So if we partake of the, of the, of the, of the cup and of the, uh, of the, the bread, without reflection and dealing with ourselves, we bring judgment on ourselves. So people will say, well then, that's why I don't partake. I don't want to bring judgment. Well, the Bible says, deal with it so that you can partake. If you intentionally don't partake so that you don't have to ask forgiveness, how much greater the judgment? Because you know what's right to do and you willingly go against it. He says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. For this reason, he's not talking about unbelievers. He says, many among you. He's speaking to the Corinthian church here. There are many weak and sick and even dead believers because they've never learned how to judge the body rightly. They've never dealt with their sins. The Bible is clear. You carry your sins. It will be weakness in your bones. You will be scared at all sorts of circumstances. When you deal with your sins, you are cleansed. You are free. And it is health to your body. It is clear in the book of Psalms that that, that forgiveness of sins is health to the body. Not that all sickness is a result of sin. But sin can be Result in sickness. He says, for this reason, many believers are weak spiritually, weak physically, so weak, so sick that some sleep, meaning they're dead. This is the cause of many people in the church. You say, why is the church full of people? How many people are excited about God? Paul says, this is the cause. This is the cause. Because they don't take of the body and the blood of the Lord... And if they do, they take it in an unworthy manner and they don't deal with their sins each week by allowing God. Jesus put this here. He said, do this in remembrance of me. The man is about to die on the cross. What does he do? He has a a Passover meal. He says, I longed to have this Passover meal with you. And what's the last thing he leaves with them? He says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Oh yeah, okay, if I feel like it, I'll do it once a year. No, he said, do this and remember them. The man, the last thing he tells them, imagine the last instruction. Imagine you have children. The last thing you're going to say to them, it's going to be pretty important. It's going to be something foundational. What's the last thing he said? This is what he left them with. He says, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. Take, drink it, all of you. He said. Do this in remembrance of Me. He didn't say, do it if you feel like it. Do it once a year. You want to remember the Lord once a year? Do it in remembrance of Me. You can partake of the Lord's Supper more than once a week. Many times I've taken it with my own family, there in my own home. He says in verse 31, But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So in other words, if we examine our hearts, we judge ourselves rightly... Oh, Lord, I remember sinning this week. Forgive me for that. He says, you won't be judged. How great is that? You want to escape judgment? Ask God to forgive you, and you've escaped judgment. That's a very good deal. He says, if you ask God, if you so ask God, He says, uh, for he who eats and drinks, judgment drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the brotherly rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So remember, the judgment that comes upon believers is not condemnation that we lose our salvation along with the world. It is that we are disciplined. But we can escape discipline. I like that idea. By asking forgiveness, I can escape discipline. You want to go through discipline? Fine. Go through it. I would rather ask God to forgive me so that I don't have to be disciplined. Isn't that a good deal? That's a pretty good deal. So, I got the the highest Catholic priest I could get. So I asked around to, to, all, to my Catholic friends. I said, "I want to meet with the highest Catholic priest that will meet with me." So they got some head guy, and I, and I invited him to lunch over, over at the faculty club. And I said, "Let me understand this. You believe that, that this, this wine and this cup—the wine in the cup actually becomes the blood of Christ, and the bread actually becomes the body of Christ?" He said, "Yes, absolutely." I said, "Okay, let me understand this." So. When you pray, when does it happen? He says, when we pray over it. I said, okay. I said, when you pray over it, that bread, which is a carbohydrate, becomes protein. If I, if, if, if I put this in my infrared spectrophotometer, I can see bands that show carbohydrate. It's very clear, carbohydrate bands, and, and you, you see it. You see all these these stretches for all these alcohol groups. You don't see any amide stretches, which which are for proteins. You don't see it. If after you pray over it, if it has truly become the flesh, I should see amide stretches in the IR. He says no, you won't see it. He says it is a mystery. I said then you and I believe exactly the same that the substance itself is not changing from a carbohydrate into protein. And I said, how about, how about the cup? In this cup, it's mainly water, and there's some alcohol in your wine. Will I, will I see porphyrins? Will I see, will I see red blood cells? If I stick this in my, in my spectrophotometer, so I'll see these, these, these porphyrin stretches and things and these, from the iron. He said, no, you won't see it. So so it doesn't actually become blood, it mysteriously becomes blood. He said, that's it. I said, you know, you and I actually believe the same. Because I have always said, in God's eyes, this is the very body of Christ. In God's eyes, this is the very blood of Christ. The physical doesn't change its matter, its molecular content. For the Catholics who think it does, they need to speak to the high priest here. Their own high priest told me that, no, it doesn't change its matter, that, that, that this, the chemical signatures would not change if you were to analyze it before and after. I said, then you and I believe exactly the same. In the eyes of God, this is the actual flesh of Christ. How much more clear could the man have been? Now, you can believe whatever you want, but all I'm trying to do is to make you good studiers of the Bible, for you to be able to look at it and do the text justice. You can't just say, "Well, I believe," but well, you can say that. You can say, "Well, I believe," but it doesn't mean anything. You can believe whatever you want. You, know, you 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 can believe you're a prophet, you're you're an apostle. You can believe whatever you want, but it it doesn't have any substance if it's not written in scripture. And all I'm trying to do is make you a good student of the Scriptures to go by what it says. It's actually a very Jewish thing, where you go line by line by line. And you see, what does it say? What does the text say? If the man were saying, this is figurative, he would have spoken differently. He would have called his disciples back had they been confused. But he let them go, because they weren't confused. They were not confused. They understood Him rightly. Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourself. Do you see why we take the Lord's Supper, we offer it to everyone who wants it, after this class every week? To me, this is so important. Because the Bible says, because of this, because believers don't understand this and don't partake... There are many among them that are weak and sick and a number sleep. And I don't want to become spiritually weak. I don't want to become physically weak because of sin. I may become sick because of some microbe someplace. But I don't want it to happen because of sin. And I want to offer that to people. And that's why even here in a Baptist church, the leadership has given me free reign to have the Lord's Supper every Sunday you say, well, you know, if you take it every Sunday, it kind of loses its meaning. Oh, really? Well, how about prayer? Maybe we should only pray four times a year. Because, you know, you know, when I pray every day, it kind of loses its meaning. It's better I only pray four times a year. Then it's going to have more meaning. How about offerings? Maybe we should only take offerings four times a year. Why don't we just do it once a year? Then it's going to have real meaning. You know? Why don't we just do that? No, we give to the Lord weekly. We give this money. So whenever I get paid, I get paid every two weeks. Whenever I get paid, I give it, and and I and I, and I give right immediately. I mean, it happens instantly. It's all programmed in my bank account. You know, the money comes in and, in a nano second. Boom, the tithe goes out. You know, it doesn't even wait till Sunday. I mean, it's all electronic. It's just great now. There's no delay. Well, it, well from a human perspective, there's no delay. But but you see that that, uh, it doesn't lose meaning if we judge the body and the blood rightly. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, which is so true. Thank You, Lord, that unless a man eats of Your flesh and drinks of Your blood... He has no life in himself. Thank you, Lord, for this truth that we are to partake and judge the body rightly by examining ourselves. What mercy, Lord, that you even let us bypass discipline by judging the body and and the blood rightly. Thank you, Lord, for those moments of introspection that you call us to so that we could deal with these things, so that we don't have to carry them throughout the week. Father, thank You. And Lord, I pray for these young people that in the name of Jesus, You work and move in their lives. Father, that You would so turn them to Your Son and let them look at the Scriptures and judge for themselves what do the Scriptures say. Let them judge for themselves what it says. And Lord, I thank You